Welcome to Episode 8 of Ballistic Strength Radio, where I invite kinesiologist and kettlebellscience.com creator, Corey Wesley, to hit us with some knowledge on kettlebell history, the kettlebell's use in facilitating movement correction, as well as Corey's own research findings from his 2013 master's thesis. If you'd like the abridged version of this episode's training advice, Daft Punk said it best with, Work it harder, make it better, do it faster, makes us stronger. So I just want to thank uh, you, Corey, for joining me on the show. Uh, how are you this morning? Yeah, I'm great. Yeah, things are good, and uh, it's um, it's perfect over here. The weather's nice, but uh, apparently it was uh, nicer over there earlier in the year, and we had snow until about a couple weeks ago. So I, I heard it's. I heard yesterday it was even snowing in Edmonton. They had about ten centimeters. Well, that's. Uh, that is only me. <laughs> <laughs> Very yeah. true. Um, yeah. So uh, for those who don't know, Corey Wesley is a certified kinesiologist. He has his Master of Science in Kinesiology and Exercise Physiology from Lakehead University. Um, his master's thesis was uh, centered on the effects of the kettlebell swing intensity on heart rate and lactic acid accumulation. So we'll get Corey to... Uh, Give us some more information on that that study of his, and uh, but for now we'll get him to uh, give us a little bit of information about uh, who he is, what he does for a living, and uh, we'll go from there. So, uh, Corey, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about um, you know what your what your credentials are, what your experience is, and uh, what you're kind of doing right now. All right, uh, thank you, th- thanks Solomon for uh, inviting me on this podcast. Um, so, as Solomon uh, mentioned, my name's Corey Wesley. I'm a um, so currently I'm a strength coach, a strength and wellness coach at Thrive Strength and Wellness in Thunder Bay, Ontario, where I train um, uh, generally athletes and um, uh, just lifestyle clients to uh, become stronger and more um, more fit and. Uh, uh, from a movement approach. So my philosophy is mostly movement and uh, fixing dysfunctional movement and then loading the movement to become stronger and healthier and then and then cranking up the intensity in terms of uh, cardiovascular training. And so in terms of movement, kettlebell training is a big uh, portion of what I do. So I'm a certified Russian kettlebell instructor, RKC, and I'm also um, uh, an Agatsu kettlebell instructor, uh, so I've been doing kettlebells for about uh, since about 2007, and um, I've been addicted to kettlebells ever since. And I still dream about kettlebells. Like um, when I'm sleeping, I'll be dreaming about kettlebells, swinging kettlebells. So when people say kettlebells are a fad, I say no, they'll be around for as long as people are using them. And when kettlebells are no longer a fad. I'll still be using them in my basement, so there'll they'll still be those hardcore kettlebell users out there, even though there'll be people that still won't know what a kettlebell is, but uh, nowadays everyone seems to know what a kettlebell is, but about 80% of people still can't swing a kettlebell correctly. So, And you've done but, some research on the subject. You know you know how old you know, it, it dates back, even to the Greeks, right? 
Yeah, well, well apparently, um, well, the first known, the kettlebell was first introduced, like, in the books in 1704. It was, the word Yervik was in the Russian dictionary. So, the, um, in terms of documentation, that's a, as far back as the kettlebell goes, but there's, um, uh, according to Sanchez, uh, Terry Sanchez in, in um, out in Denmark, I believe, uh, his research demonstrates that it goes back to the Greek days, and there's actually a kettlebell in the uh, Greek museum in Greece, Athens, Greece, that um, dates back to the, the Roman and, and the Greek days. Uh, so apparently, it's interesting the history of the kettlebell because, um, look, I live in Thunder Bay and, and I did a workshop up in one of the northern communities. Uh, a lot of the communities north of Thunder Bay uh, are only fly-in communities. So they invited me to do a workshop in, in one of the communities. And uh, the people there, uh, never they don't know what a kettlebell is. They don't even have a gym, dumbbells and barbells. They just go running and hunting and fishing. That's how they get their, their fitness. So they're totally unexposed to any kind of uh, strength training. So I brought all my kettlebells up there. I drove them up in one of the winter roads. <laughs> and uh, and uh, almost got a flat tire because the back was so heavy. But um, So I brought them up there. And so the history of the kettlebell is it used to be used as a grain uh, to weigh grain in, in the markets. So you stick a kettlebell on one side and the grain would be on the other side. And that's how heavy you knew the grain was. So people in, in Russia used to grab this this kettlebell and throw it up overhead and start swinging it. And they wanted to see who was stronger because in the Russian culture they value strength. Um, which was interesting because I wrote an uh, article on the history of the kettlebell. And then I went up to the, one of these northern communities in Ontario and then I had all my kettlebells. I threw them on the ground. As soon as I threw them out of my vehicle, threw them on the ground. And uh, it was at a high school. And, and the grade 12 students came over right away. They didn't know me. They didn't know. They knew I was coming. They knew I was this kettlebell guy. So they, about 10 or 12 of them saw my kettlebells there. Instantly, The one of the guys went to the kettlebell. He grabbed it and he started putting it, trying to press it up over his head. I mean, it wasn't perfect clean and snatch, uh, clean and press technique, but he still had the idea. Okay, pick this up and put it overhead. Doesn't matter how you do it, just get it up there. It was, so it was he very primal. He, kind of, he knew what to do when he saw it. Yeah, exactly. And then he got it up there, he threw it down, and then the next person's like, I can do that. And then he grabbed the heavier one. Okay, I'm gonna I'm I'm stronger than you, I can do this. And then the other guy put it up there. And then uh those were like the strongest guys. And the smaller kid, you could tell he he was lean, he was he was a solid kid, but he was smaller. He grabbed the heaviest one, I think it was a thirty two kg, and uh he he grabbed it up and he put it up and he got it up about halfway. He couldn't uh press it up all the way, but he was trying you can tell he's putting all his heart into it and Everyone started clapping for him, and they were just happy. This small gag. I was trying to do a heavy kettlebell, and they all and then they all respect. They had respect after that. So it was interesting how how the the cultures that value strength. You know, you just grab a kettlebell, throw it up, and you know the spirit of competition comes up. Yeah, that's that's uh, definitely the trademark of uh, as kettlebell athletes. We, uh, you know, whenever we're bored or we don't have anything to do, we'll just grab a kettlebell and throw it overhead, and then. And then, of course, it just lends itself to natural com- competition. Yeah, exactly. And then you get all the endorphins and the great feeling that, that comes out of it. Um, <laughs> so uh, so you mentioned that uh, you're a strength coach. Where are you training out of exactly? Uh, I'm in Thunder Bay, Ontario at a gym called Thrive Strength and Wellness. 
Is is that your own gym, or you you or is that uh, just some place you work out of? So uh, a friend of mine started the gym. Uh, his name's Paul Hemsworth, and um, he uh, he he got he was educated at uh, University of British Columbia, I believe. So he has his post um, graduate degree there, and he came back to Thunder Bay. So I was doing my own thing with kettlebells and. Uh, doing my own thing here in Thunder Bay and he came back and we had the same like movement philosophy and we're on the same page in a lot of our um you know corrective exercise and and building people from from some strength from the ground up that's my tagline so he invited me to uh so I rent the space at his gym and he's the owner and um uh, so I just pay him up and I'm a private contractor, so I'm responsible for finding my own clients and doing my own invoicing. So I'm strictly a private uh, strength coach, and I wouldn't want to have it any other way. Could you see yourself today working in uh, you know one of those big franchise gyms, trying to run an, an aerobic kettlebell class with like 30 people in it? Well, actually, uh, uh, I've done that for about. Since 2009, I was teaching a kettlebell class at one of the global gyms. And uh, frankly, that's where I get a lot of my clients. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, honestly, uh, the class I have, there was about 30, 35 people that um, come every week. And it was interesting because when I first started, it was a step class. And uh, I got my kettlebell certification I uh, ordered about 40 kettlebells from uh, Agatsu. Year after, I ordered about, I spent two grand from the RKC. I bought a bunch of RKC kettlebells and uh, Prograze. So I got all, all my own kettlebells. But, anyways, these people that were doing step classes, you know, aerobic step classes, there comes me with all these kettlebells. I put them through a workout. And uh, um, the next day, I was on Facebook. That was back when Facebook was relatively new. I was tagged about five times. You know those uh, um, toilet aids that help you to get up and down from uh, <laughs> for older people? There was yeah. a picture of that, and people were tagging me and saying, this is how I feel. I can't get out of bed. I can't walk down the stairs. Uh, um, Corey, you did this to me. It's your fault. <laughs> <laughs> but the best thing about it was there's two types of people I noticed that come to a kettlebell class. Uh, both types of people are extremely sore the next day. Uh, one person is so sore that they'll never come back and they don't want nothing to do with you. The second type of person, they're so sore that they come back and they want everything to do with you. So they, they know that it works. Just that one workout, swinging a kettlebell, throwing it up, um, you know, doing the basics, uh, clean and press, I'm sorry, um, swings in Turkish get-ups. Um, that's pretty much what I do at a beginner level class. Um they know just swinging like kettlebell makes them feel like that. They know it works, so they come back, and then they're so loyal to you. They they come back. The retention rate is crazy. I have the same group of people from 2009 that are still coming to my classes and um, coming to my gym. And just being a kettlebell kind of expert gives you that retention, and people will always come back to you because it's it's a skill that um, I mean you can everyone can swing a kettlebell, but or teach it, but um, to be able, like, uh, just, you know, training with, um, like, the masters, like, Pavel and, uh, you know, Sean Mosen, and uh, even meeting people like Idol Portal and, and these kind of people, you, you gain your own kind of style and technique, and people, 
once they they know who you are and what what you do they they'll be loyal to you and, and uh the client retention rate is is crazy through the roof yeah that's that's but, something uh i've noticed too even looking back um to s- some clients who would come to the classes that i used to teach at um at a group training facility that i was working at in ontario before i left um yeah. I, I see their their posts on Facebook, and there's yeah several several of them still going hard with the kettlebells, still yeah. still hooked. And uh, it, it was funny leaving. You know, I wasn't sure either way whether or not they were going to stick with it or or what was going to happen. But you know what? They found a spot where they could train with kettlebells, and and they've been going strong ever since. I've been out here for about two years now, and uh, they're still going strong. So yeah, it's it's amazing. I, I think there's definitely a, a challenge element in kettlebells. Uh, intrinsic to the kettlebells that that keeps people coming back because it's yeah. not just about the load. There's def- there's that technique and that sp- and that specific that specificity of the training that um, gets people kind of addicted. Yeah, and, and that's that's hits it bang on. You know, people are addicted to kettlebells, and I'm addicted to kettlebells. And I'm sh- I know you are, or else we wouldn't oh, yeah. be having this podcast. You know. <laughs> But but that's a great point. Um, so you you uh, quickly brought up uh, Turkish getups. Um, in as far as your uh, credentials go, I see that um, you're certified in functional movement screening, corrective exercise, and core foundations certified. Um, yeah. All that good stuff. Uh, I, <coughs> I I follow um, a fair bit of Gray Cook's. Uh, um, information and and one of the things that he implemented was uh he started looking at the turkish getup as a a, a correlate for um his functional movement screen and how yeah. it can illuminate a lot of the issues that that can be done so with his functional movement screen but in a way that might be more um uh it, it, it pertains a bit better to kettlebell training specifically and so he introduced the uh, what CKFMS certified kettlebell yes. functional movement screen? Yeah, um, which I'm I'm not sure might be kind of defunct right now because of the switch from Pavel going from RKC <laughs> to Strong First. Regardless, um, but yeah, he he talks about using that Turkish getup as an assessment tool, basically, or a screening tool. Um, do you do you share that view and do you use that in your you know assessing and screening? Uh, well, definitely. I I um so I. I purchased the uh, 15 DVD set and I went through it with a fine comb, the CKFMS. And um, so I, well. I, I definitely, yeah. So, so in terms of the Tur- Turkish getup and corrective exercise, uh, I have a lot of high level athletes and, and, um, and one of them uh, may or may not be drafted to the NHL this year, but they, a lot of my high level athletes are people that are in great shape. They still get a two out of three on their rotational strength, a rotary stability in the FMS screen. So not too many people have really, maybe one out of all the people. I don't know how many people I put through an FMS screen, functional movement screen, but I've only seen one person get a three out of three on the rotational strength, or ro- rotary stability. So, um, as Dan John says, the the half getup is king for the core, mm-hmm. and, and I believe that. So. I use the half get up in terms of 
building uh, anybody's uh, rotational strength because you know you get in that rotation of the core to get up onto the elbow and then the palm and then to be able to bring your hip up into the high bridge so that rotational you get in rotational strength uh you can nail it down with uh, naked get-ups and then really load the movement so you can start with uh, eight kilograms go, going up to 32 kilogram and higher with, with just a half get up and that turns on the core so much you feel the core working the way it should and activating the core and then you bring it up into the the high hip bridge then you're getting shoulder mobility shoulder stability you're getting the shoulder in all ranges of motion getting it strong in the vulnerable positions getting those rotator cuffs strong and also uh, working the hip flexors you bring that hip up that the heel comes off the ground you can tell some if someone's uh, has tight hips you know, so it's also a screen, but it's also a corrective exercise in the same way. You tell them to push a hip down, push that heel down when their hips up high, high off the ground on the Turkish getup, and they're feeling that hip flexor stretch. Or at the top of a half getup, they're getting that um, hamstring stretch, and that kind of helps correct with any with tight hamstrings, tight lower backs. So pretty much that Turkish getup gets everything in terms of the functional movement screen and the seven fundamental movements that the body moves. Then you get up to the lunge and the overhead uh, overhead lunge, or you get an overhead um, um, stability of the shoulder and the lunging pattern. Uh, so, yeah, you're getting everything, and, and I believe that, and I use that for that reason. And before I was in, big into the FMS, I was using the Turkish getup, and all those things were correcting anyways. Mm-hmm. I, I didn't have to be an expert in knowing the functional movement screen, I just had them doing the Turkish getup, and I was helping them, and I didn't know it. But now I know it, and I still use it. So, but now that I know it, I use it even more. Yeah, uh, I think that we tend to understand that um, exercises that have that 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 particular style of difficulty—a difficulty that's not contingent on the load—lends um, itself to making you move better. Yeah, and Turkish getup is one of those exercises that does that. And I think that that. The Turkish getup really falls in line with your philosophy and and your tagline, you know, strength from the ground up, right? Yeah, and that's and, definitely and that's one good. of those things that Gray uh, preaches as well. And that's uh, every one of my clients that walks into the door. The first exercise they're learning is the Turkish getup. So I just don't use kettlebell movements. I do everything: barbells and you know, prowlers, ropes, everything. But the Turkish getup is the first thing I teach them, and that's where that tagline comes from, strength from the ground up, because you're starting a fetal position, you're up with your hand in the air with a heavy weight overhead. So, How important do you think it is for trainers, regardless of their background, whether or not they have experience with kettlebells or not, or whether or not they choose to use kettlebells dominantly, how important do you think it is for them to implement the Turkish getup into their screening, assessment, and training process? Um, yeah, I would say... Definitely, um, for every strength coach should be using it. A lot of uh, people, strength coaches that haven't been exposed to kettlebells or, or don't feel they they haven't taken the certification courses, you don't really need that. You just need, you know, seek out another coach. Uh, that's a problem with strength coaches is ego gets in the way, and, and you tend to people are are you know finding you as the top strength coach, but you have to put your ego aside and find someone else that has that expertise that you don't have and, you know, just get them to put you through a session. Here, teach me the Turkish getup. I'll teach you this. And then that's all you need, really. Take it back and implement it with your own clients. 
I mean, because it's such a, a fine, technical, detailed movement, you can read a book and watch YouTube and implement it with your clients, but you might be missing the small details. And it's like those small details that really tend to matter, especially if you're going to use it for a screening tool. Yeah. Um, so that's, yeah, I think, I th- yeah, that's, there's definitely a dividing line there where, you know, you could implement it and, and you could say, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just going to trust in that it's doing its job. But unless you're making sure that you're having them, you know, hit all the positions and doing it correctly and, and watching out for those, those, you know, subtle markers of, uh, movement dysfunction, they're not really going to get that full benefit. Um, so let's let's move on to uh, your website that you don't update anymore. <laughs> okay. Kettlebell Science, which I've used um, as a reference in my own website because it's got a lot of good information on there. You talk about benefits of kettlebell training, um, looking at explosive strength, aerobic capacity, and VO2 max, yeah. even clinical rehabilitation with... Um, um, I, I think that the, the, the more interesting um, side of that is, is low back rehabilitation. Can you maybe give us a little uh, insight into how kettlebells might be beneficial for low back rehabilitation? Not, not you know, of course, we're never going to say that, you know, this is a magic pill. And if you have low back pain, this is going to fix it. But, you know, what's your take on it? Uh, well, my, um, as a kettlebell instructor, I always get people thinking I'm this hardcore guy is okay. I'm, you're a great trainer, but I can't do that because I, I'm out of shape and I got low back pain. I can't do kettlebells. No, you're the perfect candidate for kettlebells. And and the perception is we're doing these, you know, 32 kilogram swings and, and not everyone can do that. Um, it's a lot safer than running or any other, you know, when you do it right, you're fixing movement patterns and then you're putting fitness on top of movement. So, rather than putting uh, fitness on top of dysfunction, as Greg Cook would say. But in terms of low back pain, I mean, kettlebell's not the be-all, end-all, but it, it in terms of like low back pain, a lot of it's caused by tight hip flexors and tight uh, lower back uh, muscles and inhibited glutes and in- inhibited core muscles. So we talk about lower cross syndrome and, you know, John does uh, – a lower cross syndrome where the hips get tight and the core is weak, the stomach. So that causes your hips to tilt forward, anteriorly tilt, which puts pressure on the lower back. And, and uh, when your hip flexors, you're, you're actually, your hip flexors actually attached to your lower back, your spine, your lumbar spine. So the psoas attaches to L2, L3. Don't quote me on the numbers, but... Um, so when those hip flexors are tight, they're pulling the spine forward. Um, and then when you, you're sitting down at a desk all day and you stand up, suddenly those hip flexors are on stretch, pulling your spine forward. And then you go down to pick something up and your lower back is tight and you're picking up a pencil. And next thing you know, those tight hip flexors pull your spine out of, out of alignment and cause and you're flexing the spine because your lower back's tight, so you got to reach down. And next thing you know, you blow out a disc, and your your disc is bulging out, pressing against your your spinal cord, causing excruciating nerve pain. I know this because this is what happened to me. Um, 
uh, I was doing uh, well. I wasn't sitting at a desk. I was doing too much, uh, too many activities in sports, and I blew up my disc. This is back in 2006, I believe. Well, guess what? Uh, one month later, um, I was introduced to uh, kettlebells, and this was when I was training. Uh, it was actually in Nanaimo. I was training for the North American Indigenous Games, and uh, I was a sprinter, and um, I blew up my back, you know, five months, no, maybe it was about seven months before the competition. Like, I mean, I couldn't even, I went to take an ice bath and I went, I couldn't even get in the bath. I was stuck on the floor in a fetal position because I blew up my desk and uh, my wife couldn't help me. So they called an ambulance and um, these two um, paramedics show up. One of them was pregnant and they're both shorter than my wife and small little legs. So they couldn't help me. But anyways, the point is I started using kettlebells after that. And my back's been fine ever since. My hip flexors are are, are not tight anymore. My core is uh, strong. My glutes are strong. Just from, and they're not just strong. They're they're you know ballistic, like like you, um, how you talk about you know ballistic strength. Um, ballistic meaning they're they're powerful and fast. You know they contract fast and they're able to do the work that they should be doing. So when your glutes aren't doing the work that they should be doing, your hamstrings and lower back start doing the job that your glute muscles should be doing. Uh, kettlebell, the kettlebell swing corrects all that. You know, it lowers the glutes, makes them stronger, and just helps you move better and correct so it straightens out the spine. And, and there's so much benefits going on there in terms of low back pain that um, um, there's so much going on. And, you know, McGill has a lot of research on the kettlebell. He's the, the spine expert, and he's a big promoter of kettlebells. Mm-hmm. He's, done, he he's thought, done some extensive work with Pavel as well. Yeah. So so McGill talks about exercise progression. And as a kinesiologist, um, we talk about ex- exercise progression. So we talk about, you know, if someone's hurt, rehab, uh, therapeutic exercise, then move on to corrective exercise. And then, then from there, you can move on to endurance work, then strength work, and then power work. While kettlebells is good for all all five or six of those uh, exercise progressions, you can use them at every point. So there, there's more than just, you know, power and ballistic strength with kettlebells. There's a lot you can do with them. Uh, I know for myself, um, I'm no stranger to low back pain. You know, I've played football. I've uh, wrestled in high school. Yeah. I've experienced what I guess would commonly be referred to as just, you know, nerve irritation, uh, pinched nerve, that kind of stuff, that type of uh, high neural pain in the low back. Um, but and, and then, of course, you know, in the in the the fallout of that, all these, you know, subsequent years, you know, there will be times where it comes and goes where, you know, you'll wake up and your your back's a little bit sore. And I definitely have those days and some days are better than others. But I know that for me. If, uh, you know, I squat a lot, I deadlift a lot, um, I'm really into uh, trying to get as strong as I can be, but when I wake up and my, you know, low back's not feeling it, um, but I still want to work out, I won't do squats, I won't do deadlifts, I'll do swings. Yeah. Swings don't stress my spine the way that a heavy barbell back squat does. Yeah. Right. It's not, the sheer force isn't there just because it's a lower load. Yeah, lower load, closer to the hips uh, over a longer duration. So you don't, you know, with a barbell back squat, you have the load all the way at the, you know, the the top of the spine, furthest away from the hips, high shear. With a kettlebell, 
you know, you're you're always looking to keep the bell close to the hips, you know, through that swing, through yeah. that backswing, reducing that shear. Um, so yeah, for me, for you know, in in a sense, kind of uh, back rehabilitation implement, that's kind of my go-to tool. Yeah, and that uh, reminds me of you know Brett Contreras, you know the glute guy. He talks about um, deadlifts and squats, and most traditional exercises are axial movements, meaning the weight goes straight up and down vertically. And, and in terms of glute activation, um, uh, exercises that are he calls them anterior posterior vectors, meaning the weight goes from front to back or back to front. Well, the kettlebell swing is a perfect example of an anterior posterior uh, vector exercise because the kettlebell, it's similar to a deadlift, but the weight is going back between your hips and forward. So you're projecting the weight forward. So there's a lot of, um, there's less shear force on the spine because it's not a true up and down movement, but you're still having the same mechanics of the body um but there is some shear forces which causes strengthening of the spine and the bone mineralizes this um you get minerals that deposit on the spine strengthening that spine from the low loads that causes small shear forces which builds up the spine itself so just just enough to be beneficial but not enough to be um, you know detrimental (laughs) exactly Yeah. Um, actually, that, I, I'm glad you brought up um, Brett Contreras. Uh, he does a lot of work with EMG, EMG electromyography. Um, mm. uh, you know, looking at the uh, uh, you know um, electrical stimulation, the the ner- the uh, the stimulation of muscles activation, um, and he's he's looked at. I believe it was him, but I believe he's looked at um, core activation in in you know, uh, a range of exercises, including Turkish getup and Turkish getup is one of those exercises that are, you know, up there in terms of peak muscle activation of the transverse abdominis. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So I, I mean, it just goes to show that, um, you know, you don't have to restrict yourself to crunches and sit-ups and, and things like that for yeah. you know, building a strong core. I mean, it's, you know, you really got to, at the end of the day, you really got to start looking at movement and, and, you do things that actually challenge your spinal stability. And, and I think in most cases, in terms of, you know, quote unquote, functional strength, we really want to be doing that in an isometric, uh, position of the spine while moving dynamically through the extremity. Yeah, exactly. Um, Now you focus, I guess, mainly on the hard style, but, uh, but, uh, I mean, I, I talked to you about, you know, uh, maybe seeing you at, uh, 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 kettlebell competitions and stuff like that. Um, yeah. So, I mean, where are you sitting at in terms of your own personal training? Are you still, I would imagine you still do a lot of hard style, but, um, you know, how far are you dipping your toe into the sports style? Well, I, I was, um, you know, I prefer hard style for, you know, 10 reps, you know, all out max efforts, but I do, uh, tr- train sports style as well. So, um, the snatch and the, the jerk. Um, I'm a big fan of the, you know, the. so we have uh, anatomical breathing with the hard style and biomechanical breathing with the sports style or vice versa. Um, so, you know, the breathing is different. The style is different. You're going for longer durations. 
Um, you're challenging yourself to be uh, um, to go in, you know, ten minute sets. So I got up to like eight minute sets of a snatch with uh, 24 kg, and you know, I was I was dying at the end. But it's a different pain, you know. At the end of a, a snatch set, you're not, you know, you're not gasping for air. It's it's totally different. It's more of an endurance, uh, power endurance, strength endurance uh, set that you're moving efficiently and being able to. Where, where it's hard style is all about um, hard moving efficiently in a ballistic manner, whereas sports style is, you know, you got to be efficient and conserve energy to go longer durations. In a hard style, you wouldn't go beyond two minutes because the lactic, lactic acid would be so intense that your body just has to stop. Well, this, I, I just love the sports style because you can get over that two-minute hump and you're still going because you, you mastered the ability ability to clear that lactic acid from the system you know from the forearms from the shoulder from the, the glutes and you know the quads wherever else you feel it burning and to be able to clear that with every rep and to do the the master a technique that that you can clear out that lactic acid and keep going you know there's something spiritual about that just to be able to keep going and, and it's the same addiction that a, a runner a marathon runner gets so I was training for the uh, Agatsu um, Canadian Kettlebell Competition. Um, and that was this month, but I, I couldn't. Uh, I trained for a good eight, nine months. I just had a baby. He's uh, three months old now. So Congratulations, was, by the way. Thank you. I was kind of training in secret. You know, I didn't tell my wife I was training for this. <laughs> and, uh, and, and that's really why I love kettlebells is if there's a competition in two months, I'm going to be ready. You know what I mean? It's not, okay, I'm training for this one. Once it's over, I'm going to stop training and never do kettlebells again. It's kind of like George St. Pierre. A martial artist is always a martial artist, regardless of competition or not. That's how I feel about kettlebell training for me. And if there's a kettlebell sport competition that would come up, because I'm in Thunder Bay and the closest one is, would ever is Toronto and maybe Winnipeg. So, um, it's quite um, a drive. Yeah. You know, a thousand dollar flight, you know, we're kind of isolated up here. And, and, um, so I, I didn't end up getting a chance to go to the Gatu, um, sport competition for kettlebell, but, um, that, that's definitely something I'm still training for in previous or future years. And, uh, you know, the snatch, I like to keep my snatch, you know, up there. And so I can, I train hard style for my sports style, and my sports style helps my hard style. And I could switch from a hard style snatch to a sports style snatch without thinking, you know, the style is there. And I think that's a great skill. If you're into kettlebells, why not do both? You know what I mean? Like a kettlebell is a kettlebell, you know, just snatch it and, and fool around with the different techniques. Mm-hmm. Um, I, that's, uh, I like that point. Uh, there's definitely the carryover there, and I think that um, kettlebell sport athletes should – um, work on their hard style as well, but it's it, it. And when you look at the end of um, the sets of a lot of lifters, um, when they get into that situation where the grip is going, and they need to find a way to keep the movement as efficient as possible, and keep the shear out of the forearm and 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 keep going, they yeah. will adopt something not exactly, but something more of a hard style. Uh, uh, so we'll use snatch for example. Um, 
they'll switch to more of a, a harder style uh, for the sake of keeping the bell closer to the body. Um, because uh, one of the, I mean, the big difference here, we're, you know, power production versus power conservation, but it's also yeah. efficiency versus economy. And so when yeah. you're getting to that point where, you know, you, you, your, your grip is starting to go, you need to find a more efficient way to, to lift the bell, not necessarily an easier way. And so, um, it tends, the easier way to lift the bell tends to actually be using that big pendulum and, uh, allowing gravity to do its thing. The only problem with that is, is that your arc is greater. Uh, the bell travels a further distance. So the time under tension for your forearm is actually greater. So you'll see a lot of lifters at the end of their sets start doing like a, almost like a squat snatch where it's it's much more powerful and they're going much more straight up and, and punching the bell up and trying to hit that elbow lock. So it's almost like there's that natural progression there. Yeah, but it seems to me the forearm was always the first to go. So, I mean, you can... Like, when I was training, that was a problem, and then uh, I did a a session with uh, Sean Mosen and, you know, he taught me the technique of how to, uh, so you still have to make it one unit at the bottom of the snatch where you grip it and, you know, your, your arm is one unit with the body and you're going back between the legs you know, and it's just, you know, like you said, gravity. So it's more like a J rather than a big, large pendulum yeah. going out. Yeah. So, but the grip was always the biggest issue and, and, uh, and and it will continue to be. Yeah, <laughs> that that is the crux. Yeah. So if you can master the techniques, so it's not getting more grip strength and grip endurance. You just gotta fine tune the technique that you you're using less grip. Uh, you're less fatigue on the grip for each snatch. So that's that's but, an awesome point. That's that's where I think some people miss miss uh, miss the point is that. You know, they finish their set and they're like, oh, my grip gave out. I need to build my grip strength. No. Yeah. You need to fix your technique because it's it's draining forearm energy. Yeah. Right? So, uh, I mean, you know, grip strength will certainly help. But if you adopt the uh, finger lock method that, uh, you know, is kind of the uh, standard grip for, you know, lifting a Russian kettlebell and kettlebell sport – grip strength is 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 not really an issue it's not it's you know that's not really what's going to make your grip strong um there are techniques yeah. that you have to use to, to improve that uh economy yeah exactly so um I, i'll continue to be training for kettlebell sport and i still look forward to seeing you at one of the competitions well you sometime. know what? in in july on the 18th there there are nationals i don't know if you'll be able to make it out for that that's in edmonton edmonton yeah man I'll be in uh, Winnipeg. I'm coaching a uh, AAA hockey team right now for my son. The 2007 spring hockey will be in Winnipeg in July. So, so we'll be around the area. Maybe they can sneak a trip in there. Maybe, maybe <laughs> that would be awesome. Um, yeah, and so, uh, so yeah. I don't know if you knew the nationals are are held in Edmonton, and that's going to be a qualifier for. Um, potential inductees into the uh, Team Canada to go over to Dublin and participate in, um, you know, the World Championships uh, through the IUKL. So some exciting stuff coming up. Um, let's go into your. Uh, I don't want to put this off uh, much longer. I, don't, I want you to explain 
this uh, this study for us. So your master's thesis, um, what what was your what you do your master's thesis on exactly? All right, so my master's thesis was uh, the, the effects of kettlebell mass and swing cadence on heart rate, blood lactate, and ratings of perceived exertion during a interval kettlebell swing protocol. So in in English, so basically in uh, in non-Greek terms, how does changing kettlebell weight and how fast you swing a kettlebell affect your heart rate and blood lactate accumulation in your bloodstream and how hard you perceive the workout to be? And is there there no real information on, on this right now? Um, there's nothing in terms of variations in mass and how fast you swing a kettlebell. There's studies out there that say... Kettlebells get your heart rate up to ninety percent max, a hundred close to hundred percent of your maximum heart rate, but uh, they don't really bring up your aerobic conditioning, your VO two max, because the heart rate's up so high, but the actual oxygen getting to the muscles is not as high as the heart rate. So there's some controversy there. There's some good studies out there, but there's nothing comparing what happens if I swing in uh, a sixteen kilogram kettlebell. Uh, compared to a 12 kilogram kettlebell, what's the difference in my workout capacity, uh, my ability to get my heart rate up to a certain level? Or um, so I used female, I had 18 female participants and I had them swing an 8 kilogram kettlebell, a 12 kilogram kettlebell, and a 16 kilogram kettlebell for five minutes, 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off. So an interval kettlebell swing protocol, uh, similar to. Um, you know, Kenneth J's um, VO2 max snatch test, our snatch protocol, but mine was five-minute rounds. So they came in three different sessions. They swung in five minutes. They swung an eight-kilogram kettlebell. Well, my findings, you know, to sum it up was if you're going to use an interval swing protocol like a Tabata, you have to be above the anaerobic threshold to see any benefits in cardiovascular training. So to increase the heart capacity to, to work better. If you're not above the anaerobic threshold, you might as well go run on a treadmill. So, or just swing that kettlebell for a half hour straight. You know what I mean? But why do that when you can just do a kettlebell sport competition or something? But anyways, um, eight kilogram kettlebells, that was the problem with the fitness class is females say, I can't do that. I don't want to swing that. I can't even lift a five pound dumbbell. Well, an eight kilogram kettlebell. You're, you're bullshitting me. They don't say that. <laughs> no. Uh, um. Yeah. Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, um, eight kilogram kettlebell is too light to see any. No matter how fast you swing it. So I had them swing it at eight swings per fifteen second interval. So in fifteen seconds, you either swing eight times, ten times, or twelve times. Eight swings in fifteen seconds is too slow because. The kettlebell, you kind of have to hold it up there and slow it down. So I had to swing to a metronome. Ten ten swings per interval is uh, perfect. You swing it up and it just falls down. You let gravity bring it down on its own. That's kind of the standard rate. If you if you time if you swung a kettlebell right now for a minute, you'd probably get thirty six swings in a minute. That's about the 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 biomechanical limitations of how the swing travels. Um, Thirty thirty six a minute probably ranging from 32 to 40 
somewhere in there. If you picked up a kettlebell right now, swung it for a minute, that's you'd get about 36 swings. So that's a, if you do the over-speed eccentrics technique where you actually swing it up to the top and then actively pull it down faster than gravity on its own, you'll get about 12 swings in 15 seconds. So that's where I got my, my swing interval rates from. So if you swung an 8-kilogram kettlebell at 12 swings in 15 seconds during an interval protocol, your heart rate would get up to, um, you know, 145 beats per minute was my average. If you use that same, if you, no, sorry, 120, yeah, 145. If you swung a uh, 12-kilogram kettlebell at a slower cadence, your heart rate wouldn't get as high. So speed, the faster this you swing, the higher heart rate and blood lactate gets, regardless of the mass. So you can swing a heavier kettlebell slower. You're not going to get a, as good a workout as you, if you swing a lighter kettlebell faster. So, so we that, have to be very conscious of that force velocity curve and, and, and s- still get that necessary minimum threshold of speed going to elicit yeah. the benefits that we're looking for. Exactly. But uh, an 8-kilogram kettlebell is not going to get you above that anaerobic threshold no matter how fast you're swinging it. You have to use a 12-kilogram kettlebell or a 16-kilogram kettlebell to get above the anaerobic threshold. So a 12-kilogram kettlebell, you'll get above the anaerobic threshold at 12 swings in 15 seconds, but you won't get it at 10 swings or 8 swings in 15 seconds. You know, 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off. So a 12-kilogram kettlebell minimum at 12 swings per 15 seconds. So, But a 16-kilogram kettlebell, you'll get above the anaerobic threshold. It doesn't matter, matter the speed. Don't even bother with swinging 8 swings in 15 seconds. But you can swing it. You can jog through it with a 16-kilogram kettle, uh, kettlebell. What I mean by jog through it is swing it and let it fall down on its own through gravity. Mm-hmm. I call that jogging through it. You know, just... You'll still get above the anaerobic threshold. Um, we're talking about females here in my study. So, so the point of my study was go faster and go heavier. <laughs> so, and, and it's 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 very it's amusing because uh, you know we can we can look at those findings. You know, go faster, go heavier. Well, this isn't news. Did we really need a study to tell no. us this? Well, actually, we did because, like I said. People show up to my class and say, that's too light. I, I'm not, that's going to be too much for me. Well, that, that was where the whole idea came from was people were saying, I can't swing that eight, 18-pound uh, kettlebell. That's too heavy for me. Well, scientifically speaking, uh, it's not going to do you any good. And if you want to be stuck in that rut, uh, you know, you're better off going to um, back to a step class or jogging on a treadmill. And there's studies saying that treadmills um, better than kettlebells for aerobic capacity, but they had people swinging a kettlebell for 12 minutes straight. At um, it would have been equivalent to my 10 swings per 15 seconds. So I think that 36 swings in a minute, and they're using an eight kilogram kettlebell. So the studies out there saying treadmills are better for aerobic capacity than kettlebells. Well, no, not really. They were using eight kilogram kettlebells and swinging them at 32 swings or 36 swings in a minute. You know, they're jogging through it. If you want to, and that was 10 minutes straight, followed by sumo deadlifts or or whatever the study used. 
So if you want to really increase your heart rate, increase your um, aerobic capacity, your VO2 max using kettlebells, use intervals, you know, 20 seconds on, you know, do a Tabata, do uh, 15 seconds on, 15 seconds off, whatever the interval is. Go above the anaerobic threshold by swinging fast using overspeed eccentrics technique. You can find more information on my website, uh, Corey West. I mean, uh, kettlebellscience.com. I update CoreyWesley.ca now. You, you can check that out too. Um, but overspeed eccentrics is the key to kettlebell hard style kettlebell training. Is what we're talking about here. And, and how does the overspeed eccentrics work? What's you know? Give me the skinny on so, that. So overspeed eccentrics means, uh, in terms of the kettlebell swing, you pull the kettlebell down to the top swing, the kettlebell's up in front of you, floating at eye level. You pull it down actively as fast as you can back between the legs. So what happens is you get the stretch shortening cycle, um, the stretch reflex, because uh, it loads the hamstrings, the glutes, and the posterior chain like an elastic and it sets you up for a more powerful upswing. So the concentric portion of the swing. So uh, what's happening... The shorter that stretch phase, um, that relaxation phase, the more powerful the the concentric phase tends to be? Yep. So it's pretty much... uh, I'd say one of the safest ways to do plyometrics because you're not jumping. You're not loading the ankles and the knees like you would jumping. So plyometrics is shock, like shock training. You're actually getting that eccentric portion. You jump, you land. You, so three rules with plyometric training. Number one is you jump as high as possible. Number two is spend a minimal amount of time on the ground. And number three is um, you know land as softly as possible. The, those are the three rules to get the most benefit out of plyometric training. Well, it applies to the kettlebell swing to rule number one, pull that kettlebell down as fast as possible. Rule number two, spend as minimal amount of time at the bottom of the swing as possible. And rule number three, on the upswing, you know, swing that up as hard as you can. And do that for uh, 12 swings in 15 seconds. Put it down, rest 15 seconds, pick it back up, do it again for five minutes. That'll get your heart rate up to close to over 90% of your heart rate max. Your blood lactate level will be above 4 millimoles per liter, meaning you're above the anaerobic threshold. And, um, you know, you'll get a, a workout that's just insane. You won't want to do it too much because it's so hard that your heart rate's through the roof. You'll feel it exploding. And uh, But in terms of what's going on... Trust us. It's a good yeah. thing. So what's happening is your heart rate is getting, your heart's getting stronger. So when you're done this exercise, like when your body adapts by contracting, every time your heart rate contracts, you can put more blood out into the muscles quicker. I mean, you know, the ejection. Your stroke volume increases, right? Yeah, stroke volume increases. So you can, your heart rate actually goes down, your resting heart rate. So Mm -hmm. if you really want to lower your resting heart rate, do high intensity um, interval training. It doesn't matter. It could, could be sprints. Could be you know on a bike. The Tabata was actually on a, a cycle ergometer. The actual study. So the the problem nowadays is people use Tabatas for push-ups, for you know squats. A true Tabata is you're above the anaerobic threshold, meaning your heart rate is above 85% of your heart rate max. If you're not above that, you're just wasting your time. You're just doing push-ups for reps. You're just getting blood volume into the push-ups. And it's a it, it's more of a fun thing, you know. Do a Tabata, 
you know, people are. I'll admit, I've been guilty of that. Yeah, I mean it's it, it it's, I mean it's it's a good method, but the true Tabata like the actual study was you have to be above the anaerobic threshold, meaning get above higher than eighty five percent, and you can't do that with push ups, or, or you know, um, you have to do it more rhythmic. You know, swings or, or running, uh, those kind of more aerobic based exercises not aerobic more efficient less um muscle isolated exercises so um what else is going on there with the overspeed eccentric swing is you're you're stretching the hamstrings and the glutes um so your your muscles when they stretch they stretch to a point it's like your fingers when you put your fingers interlocked and pull them apart and the fingers are at the end there's a band there called a z band what you're actually doing when you do overspeed eccentrics is you're tearing that end range of the muscle fibers, and so you'll be sore the next day. So, but when those muscles tear, micro tears, they grow back stronger. So your muscles are actually getting stronger at the end range at their their full extension. So when they get stronger, when they're fully extended, that's the weakest point of a muscle. You never hear someone saying, I pull my muscle um, um, when my, I never, you don't pull a hamstring when you're sitting in a sitting position because it's, it's at its, um, it's not extended. When it's extended, that's the weakest point. So you're strengthening your, your posterior chain at the weakest point. That's where your fibers and, have the least amount of surface contact with their peripheral fibers. Exactly. So that's where ballistic strength comes in. So you're becoming ballistic at all ranges of motion of the muscle fibers. So you'd be able to jump higher, run faster, and uh, be injury-free. So you're just more of a ballistic person. And, and that's where I kind of, I dig your your uh, gym name. You know, ballistic strength, that's what it's really all about. You yeah, know, it, sound, it sounded good to me at the time, and it's, it's held strong since. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, well, that was very interesting, and I'm glad that you... Um, it translated all of that information for us. Um, what what do the, your findings mean for the kettlebell sport athlete? If they're going to incorporate this interval style training that you've suggested uh, with the parameters that you've outlined, how is that going to benefit them in their 10-minute um, competition sets? Well, I train marathon runners, and I don't have them do 10-mile jogs when they're coming into the gym, I have them doing strength work to become stronger, to increase uh, single leg deadlifts with kettlebells, um, you know, shoulder mobility, stability, uh, core and glute activation, and, uh, you know, loosening up their hips and lower back and, and, you know, chest. And and, um, really, this will kettlebell sport athlete, by increase so when i have marathon runners do the prowler they're just doing it for 15 20 meters and then they're resting and then they're doing it again so what's happening is like i explained already they're increasing the stroke volume so when they get back to running the, they can go faster and longer at a lower heart rate so they can run 10 miles previously to using the prowler or 
the kettlebell overspeed eccentric technique that helps with the running too. They their heart stroke volume is so much stronger that their heart rate is a lot lower. So they're more in the aerobic zone. So they stay in that aerobic zone. They're clearing out the lactic acid faster. Their heart's more has more of capacity to clear out that lactic acid. So you can start snatching that kettlebell. You can get one extra rep in a minute and do one extra minute at the same heart rate and same burn that you did before you were doing this kind of high intensity interval training protocols. So you'll be able to snatch more and longer, snatch more reps per minute and add extra time to your training and to your competition time because you have a better stroke volume. Your, um, your muscles are, are more elastic. So kettlebell training, your muscles come more like sinew rather than like a bodybuilder, you know, it's more ballistic. So you have that elastic capacity. So each rep flows better and you're getting more of a springiness to your snatch or your jerk when you're in a kettlebell sport competition. And less, I guess, voluntary muscle contraction that, that might create, you know, more taxation and more metabolic byproduct and more fatigue. Yeah, so you're not muscling it up. You're using that uh, springiness to help you project it up like an elastic and a slingshot. When I give my students um, programs for their kettlebell training, we look at what I call three attributes of the kettlebell lifter, um, at least for sport, which uh, we focus on grip. Uh, so we do grip. And grip is more – we don't work on grip strength. We work on grip endurance yeah, and grip big. technique. Um, so grip uh, – aerobic endurance, um, and then, uh, anaerobic threshold or, or what I'll tend to refer to as just work capacity. And so, yeah. and so when we're looking at that work capacity, that's really what we're re, the junction there between, um, you know, the kettlebell lifter training and what you talked about with your intervals, you know, when we work on our work capacity, fitting more reps into each minute, um, you know, we'll, we'll, we do sprints, yeah. we do Tabatas, we do all that stuff to increase that, that work capacity. And then that carries over into, like you said, getting, you know, one or two extra reps every minute, you know, et cetera, yeah, et more cetera. Yeah. So that, that's exactly it. So you're increasing your, your VO2 max, meaning when you, you're increasing your anaerobic threshold level. So before training, your anaerobic threshold was at 70% of your heart rate max. Doing these high-intensity intervals, your anaerobic threshold can go up to 85%, even 90% of your heart rate max. So your heart rate can get up to, so say for, um, say your heart rate max is 180. You can train close to one, uh, so 180 minus 36 would be 80% of your heart rate max. So... 143 say 144 you can be in that you can train at that your heart rate can be that high and you can still get through a 10 minute set because you're still below your your lactate threshold or anaerobic threshold so you're so you're doing your reps and you're clearing out the lactic acid faster than it's building up that's the whole point while at the same time you know helping to bring down your resting heart rate and i think that's an important point too is that you know, as an athlete, you want to you want a range. You want a range of heart rate capacity. You want yeah. to have a low resting heart rate, but also a very high capacity for like a max training heart rate. You want to be able to function at a high heart rate. You don't yeah, want your limit to be you know one twenty BPM. Exactly. So, yeah. um, 
Corey, thank you so much. This has been uh, very illuminating, very educational. Um, I don't want to keep you any longer. Uh, so I'm at ten percent on my phone. What's but, that? I'm at ten percent on my phone, so it's perfect timing. But hey, um, I'm working on producing, um, publishing my thesis in the National Strength and Conditioning Journal. Fantastic. And, and so you, this was actually the first time I got to talk about it. I didn't go in too much detail, but hopefully. Um, your your listeners found it interesting and in the future the you know it'll be out to the general public and more people will be able to uh to use my findings and, and implement them into the training protocols will there be any more studies from you in the future um well i had some studies that i i did con- comparing you know the kettlebell swing to the squat thruster that kind of stuff so i'm, I'm going to be releasing that on my website CoreyWesley.ca. Um, you can also check out um, kettlebellscience.com. But um, I'm more branding myself nowadays. So for more up to date information, you know, just follow me on uh, Facebook, Corey Wesley Personal Training, or on Twitter at Corey Wesley. Um, so follow me and stuff. So we'll put awesome. the, we'll put the links in the description. And uh, we'll get this podcast rotating into all social media and and uh, my own website, et cetera, et cetera. That's great. So, yeah, it was fun. You know, you asked me to talk about my thesis, but uh, when you talk about kettlebells, you can get off track and talk about a million things. So it took us a while to get to the actual thesis. That just goes to show, um, you know, we're very you know enthusiastic about the subject. It's a broad topic, I think. Yeah. And it's fun to talk about. All right. Well, thanks again. And um, you know what, Corey, enjoy the rest of your day, and uh, we'll get you back on the show real soon. All right. Thanks, Solomon, and uh, we'll talk soon. Awesome. See you, Corey. All right. All right. Bye-bye.